How are we this morning? <laughs> I'm going to ask one more time. How are we this morning? It's always a joy and a pleasure to worship the God of all creation in His power and majesty and that He would, for whatever reason, yeah, new babies are awesome. It's one of the best sounds in the world. Maybe not at 3 o'clock in the morning, right? Any moms and dads agree with that? Maybe not at 3 o'clock in the morning, but that is the sound of life, and we love it. So anyways, listen, uh, this morning, together, what I want to do is kind of move through this series, just recap briefly what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about uh, celebrating the story of God, okay? And if you, if you weren't with us last week, we talked about uh, what it meant to see God as the creator Right, creation. We talked about the Genesis 1 account, which we will hit on just a, a briefly this morning, just a little bit. We're going to hit Galatians 1 or Genesis 1, and then we're going to we move through the fall. And we talked about how Adam and Eve were created for fellowship and worship and unity and, and how they messed it up, right? They fell. And then we move from the fall to the rescue, and we talked about how Christ Jesus came and he took our place and he, he died for us, but then he rose from the grave with life and liberty for everyone, right? And then we moved to the restoration of all things, and we read from Revelation where there would be a day, and we just kind of sang about it and exhorted that again, there would be a day where God comes back and restores all things, no hunger, no fear, no shame, no insecurity, no nothing that can separate us from Him. We will then know the full restoration of all things, a new heaven, a new earth, undefiled, unbroken. And this week... As we move out of celebrating the story of God, what I want to do together is celebrate the glory of God. And I want to think about, for a few minutes, the glory. And when you say the glory of God, sometimes it gets really, really tricky because can, it, it, it's kind of like this. I heard one theologian put it this way. He said it's kind of like looking at a masterpiece or looking at the expanse of the, the Grand Canyon and saying, man, that is beautiful, and someone's saying, well, can you describe for me what beautiful means? Well, what's well, beautiful, right? Or maybe when you, you look at your wife and you say, babe, you're just, you are beautiful. In what ways? You're just beautiful, right? Like everything about you, there's just, I can't really put it all into words. So I'm grabbing this one word, this one word, beautiful, and I'm just kind of, I'm going to put that word on it because that's the only word that I can really utter that makes sense to me. So glory is kind of that same word in the context of how we use it this morning. The glory of God. God is glorious. God is beautiful. Well, what is beautiful? He's powerful and awesome and creative and kind and loving. And like we're just going to wrap it up in this word glorious and beauty. He is beautiful. And this morning what I want to do together for just a few minutes is to celebrate that glory. To hopefully be awed again by the glory of God. See, we were born to be awed. I don't know if you realize that or not, but we were born to be awed. I mean, it's really simple when we're young, right? My nieces, I have uh, three nephews and two nieces, and uh, my nieces are my favorite. Don't tell my nephews, but um, they're all too young to understand yet anyways. But anyways, my nieces, every time I get to hang out with them and spend time with them, there's always some point where it's like, do the quarter thing. Do the quarter thing. Anybody know what the quarter thing is? We're like, I got this quarter... Oh, it's behind your ear, right? And you pull it out, and you're like, ah! 
a six-year-old is like freaked out for days. Where'd the quarter come from? Anybody ever experienced that? Anybody seen that? You look at me like, huh? I don't know what you're talking about. See, that's just a little sample that in the heart of man, in the heart of woman, we were born to be awed. That's one of my favorite responses when I, when I reach behind their ear and I pull a quarter out and they just die laughing. They erupt with laughter like, oh my God, it's a quarter. It came out of my ear. You know, literally seen them run to the other room to declare to their mom and dad, a quarter came out of my ear. See, they were awed. And we were created to be in awe. We were created to be enamored by the glory of God. I want you to hear this. I want to talk for just a minute about awe and about, about the kind of the birth in our heart. I remember the first time. Have you ever seen, anybody love paintings? Anybody love paintings? or Anybody love a good book? Right, we're going to participate just a tad bit this morning. Anybody love paintings? All right. Anybody love a good book? All right. You can put your hands down. Thank you so much. we got a gift for you on the way out. Um, I've seen movies where people would just stand in front of these colors stretched across the wall and just enamored and begin to talk about the political and philosophical depth of the abstract on the wall. Enamored. I remember the first time that I saw a painting that made me think that way. I was in the fifth grade. I was in Miss Butler's class. And we went to art class once a week, and that was really the only class. I'm pretty ADD, so that's the only class I ever excelled in. The only A I ever made probably was in art. And we're sitting there in class, and she pulls out this book. I'll never forget it. And we're flipping through these pages, and there was a painting by George O'Keefe. And it was a skull and a rose. I remember for the first time in my life, I don't know why, but I was like, man, this is, I'm drawn to this thing. Anybody ever seen a painting or an artist do what they do, and you're just kind of, you're drawn to it? It's the same way with music, Right? Taylor and I go to the movies, and I don't know if you've ever been to the movies. Hopefully you have. It's a pretty cool experience. And occasionally there's this advertisement for this Italian opera. Anybody ever Jones on the Italian opera seen that? All right. And it's like you have, I have no idea what they're saying, but I'm like, I feel something. That chick is sad, right? That dude is authoritative, right? You, it makes you feel something. I remember the first time that, just like the painting, I was in fifth grade. I remember the first time that I realized how powerful just music was. I was in the seventh grade, and I, I had my first legit girlfriend. And uh, seventh grade, right? And I was, I was super cool lifting to, listening to R. Kelly back in those days. And she broke up with me. This girl broke my heart in the seventh grade, and I thought, what am I going to do? So I had a boom box at the time. I put in a... My sister's Celine Dion CD. I called her up. Press play. Near, far, wherever you are. You know? Waited till the end of the song, picked up the phone, and said, hey, girl. You want to be my girlfriend again? Locked. It was locked down. And it was the first time I realized, I was looking back, I was preparing the sermon, I thought, man, music is powerful. There's something in us that we're drawn to good music. We're drawn to good art. We are, we're drawn to it. And I remember the very first time that I went to a planetarium. And I laid on my back and I looked and as the, our science teacher explained the expanse of the universe. And just like with the painting, just like when, with <laughs> my first experience with powerful music and 
with the planets, man. I just, there was something in me. I wasn't even a believer, but there was something in me that I was just drawn to it. And I want you to hear me say this this morning because we're talking about the glory of God. All of those things, every painting that we stand in front of and, and try to pick apart, every book that we read that we get engrossed in and, 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 and narratives that just explode off the page and grab our hearts and music that just, even without words at times, music that just does something to us are but flickers of the diamond. See, they're just flickers. See, if I went to my wife to propose and I said, hey, Tay, listen, here's a diamond. I want you to admire the diamond and I want you to look at all how the, the light just flickers off of it. Now I want you to take that, that light and hold it in your heart. I'm going to take the diamond back to the store. Probably wouldn't have went so well, right? It's the same way, listen, in this life, good food, success, romance, Music, paintings, art, all of these expressions of beauty that we can't really put into words are but flickers of the diamond. They're just shadows of a God who is creative and glorious and beautiful. And here's the thing, that God wants a relationship with you and wants a relationship with me. And listen, he wants us to have the whole diamond. He wants us to have the whole gospel, which is Jesus Christ. And they all pale in comparison to the real thing. I want to say this before we move on. When we give our lives to temporary pleasures, temporary beauty, temporary satisfaction, what we find out, and it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, we find out that they all pale in comparison to the real thing. Jesus is the only all-satisfying, all-good, all-faithful God. He is the only thing that will take that, that void to a ten. He's the only thing that will overflow you. And that leads us to ask a question. Where, where did this desire, this hope, this grabbing for glory and beauty and things that we can't explain, where did it come from? Well, Scripture says, and you've heard us quote the Scripture tons of times, but creation declares the glory of God. And because God is glorious, He put in the heart of man a love for and a desire for communion and glory. But listen, I want to show you two pictures this morning of how a love for the glory of God can go really, 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 really good for us. But a lust after God's glory can go really, really, really bad for us. All right? Check this out. Go to Acts with me. The book of Acts, chapter 8. Acts, chapter 8, 17 through 24. See, it was birthed in the heart of every man to know God, to love God, to want God, to desire His glory. And there's an incredible difference, and, and sometimes it, it, it's subtle and we don't even realize it, but there's an incredible difference between lust and love. There's been plenty of times in my life that I thought, oh my gosh, I must be in love with this girl, right? Seventh grade, Celine Dion, I'm in love. Really, it was lust. Because lust tells us, I, I want to take. 
I want to use this thing to my advantage. Lust says, let me get that to better myself. I want it. I want to take it. I want to use it. That's what lust says. Love says, oh my God, this thing is so beautiful, so glorious. I want to be connected to it. I want to serve it. I want to give to it. I want to surrender my life to it. Acts chapter 8, verse 17. Then they laid their hands on them. Talk about the disciples here, seeing people baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power, so that one on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent. Repent of this wickedness and pray that the Lord, that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are of gall of bitterness and the bonds of iniquity. Simon the sorcerer saw the glory of God. He saw the anointing of God. He saw the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what he said? This is a good business move. I'm a sorcerer. I do some pretty wicked stuff. I have a bag of tricks. How much better would my life be if I could kind of buy this all-powerful power? See, he lusted after the power and the glory of God. There was a lust in his heart to take advantage of and use the glory of God to his own benefit. Probably the most notable example is Satan, when he was in heaven, man, he looked at the throne of God and in the heart of Satan thought, man, I, I want that. And he had all splendor. Scripture says that he was beautiful. We paint Satan as this weird looking dude, red, kind of with a pitchfork or, you know, distorted face. But Scripture says that he was beautiful. Created in beauty. Had everything he could ever want. But in his heart, he lusted for the power and the authority and the glory of God. He didn't love God. He didn't love the glory of God. He lusted for it. In the New Testament, you can find a spot where he says, I saw him fall like lightning. See, in Isaiah, God says, no one will share my glory. I will not share my glory with anyone. Today, in this life, there are times when we fall into that trap. We saw, see the power and the benefit and the blessing of the gospel. We see the goodness of God. And we think, man, I want God so that I can just have his blessing. And we pursue God sometimes. Sometimes we even serve or we give money on Sundays or whatever it is. We do these things so maybe we can get the hand of God And there's so many people, especially in Western Christianity, who would be okay with the hand of God never having to deal with the heart of God. And and this morning I just want to show you this contrast so so that if you fall there, because I have fallen there before, God, I, I, I want your glory, I want... I want your power. I want your blessings. Would you bless me financially? Would you bless my health? Would you do all these things? And God then becomes kind of like a teller, just 
I want him to give me stuff, but I really don't want to get to know him. I don't want to love him. I don't want to serve him. And if we fall on that side of the coin, then we are struggling with the lust of the glory of God. Praise God, there's another side of the coin. Amen. Because just as there's a lust for the glory of God, there's a love for the glory of God. Go to Exodus 33 with me. It's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Exodus 33. If you're new to this thing, flip all the way to the beginning. Genesis, Exodus. Exodus 33, verse 14. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face you shall not see. Moses had a love for the glory of God. Moses wasn't standing there saying, just deliver us from the wilderness so we can be free again. Would you just deliver us? In this moment of Scripture, Moses is in the wilderness with incredibly difficult people surrounded by antagonists and complainers. And his heartbeat, the heartbeat of his life was, God, show me your glory. This is what Moses was saying, I don't want the promised land if you're not going with me. I don't want your benefits. I don't want good finances and good health and a good marriage and a good life if those things are apart from Jesus. Like, Jesus, God, show me your glory. Moses had this deep love for the glory of God. My prayer this morning is he would birth in us that kind of desire. God, if it means that I'm in the wilderness, I just want your glory. God, if I never get another thing from your hand, if your hand seems like it's always just dry every time I go to draw from it, God, that's okay as long as I can see your glory. As long as I can feel your presence and know that you're with me, God, I want you. Not just the things that you have or you give. God, I want you. See, that's a love for the glory of God. It's the same way in our marriages. Real love is when we adore or pour love and affection on our spouse because of who they are, not because of what they can offer us. It's pouring out grace and kindness and tenderness over them, not to expect something in return, but just because of who they are. I want to read you another scripture in Psalm 27.4. 
Moses wasn't the only one in Scripture. I love using David. I love using the psalmist. In 27.4, he says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David said, this one thing I want. Think about it. He had all the notoriety a man could gain. All the money. Wives upon wives. Possessions upon possessions. Power and authority. And the heartbeat of his life. This one thing that I ask. This one thing I want. I want to see your glory. God, I want to see your glory. And I pray that God would give us and allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate in our hearts a love for God's glory. Because check this out, a love for God's glory helps us endure every season of life. It's the most interesting thing in the world about Moses and about David. is that Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. Moses got to the border. And God said, Moses, I'm not going to let you go in. Moses was okay with that. Moses was content with Joshua and Caleb and the generation who did not complain. He was okay for them to pass him and go into the promised land while he, was, while he died in the wilderness. Why? Because the pursuit of his life was not the promised land. It was the glory of God. And he knew if he lived or if he died, he had the glory of God. David wasn't able to build the temple. God said, David, you shed too much blood, man. I know I said you were, you're going to get to build this thing, but you, you've been a man of war and you shed too much blood. Solomon's going to be the one to build it. And David could have stomped his feet and puffed out his chest and said, but God, I've served you, I've loved you, and I've loved your glory. You know what he did? He had a financial campaign for Solomon. He said, what can I do? How can I leverage my influence to, to, to pour into Solomon's life, the riches of my life into Solomon's life so God can fulfill this thing in my son. He was okay to die without his promised land. He was okay to die without the notoriety of the temple. Why? Because he had the glory of God. And live or die, he had the glory of God. See, this morning when we have a love for the glory of God, it helps us to endure in every single season. It doesn't matter what comes or what goes, who comes or who goes. It doesn't matter the emotional battles that we may face, the spiritual battles that we face, the physical battles that we may face in life. None of those things compare to the glory, the beauty, the power, and the majesty of having God. Which moves us into our third point. If you're taking notes this morning, just jot this down. God is glorious. We want, to, we want God to cultivate in our hearts a love for His glory because we believe, as simple as it sounds, that God is glorious, right? It's one thing we believe about Him. I want you to read with me in Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 28.5. 
me read this to you. This is beautiful. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be a, cl- a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. In that day, the Lord will be a crown of glory. He will be a diadem of beauty for the remnant of his people. Listen to this. Isaiah 6, you don't have to turn there. Some of you are having flashbacks of Bible drill. Apologize. Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each having six wings, and two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and two he flew. And one called to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. See, this morning, God is glorious. One last, before we move on from where God is glorious, I want to take you to one more place, and you can just jot the scripture down. We don't have to go there together, but in Acts chapter 9, 3 through 6, tells the story of Saul, who is heading to persecute the church. He has political clout. He has financial security. He has a degree from the finest seminary in all the land. And he's on his way to persecute the church, and he comes face to face with the glory of God. Scripture says that he's knocked off his horse. He's blinded by a great light. He goes a little way and he's taken to a man's house and he sits and the scales fall off his eyes and he realizes that Christ Jesus is the king. I want you to hear me say this this morning. Our lives will be forever changed. Not only when we cultivate in our hearts, allow God to cultivate in our hearts a love for the glory of God, but when we come face to face with his glory. See, the story of Isaiah and Isaiah, where he comes face to face with the glory of God, he confesses his sin, says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in a, among a people of unclean lips. Scripture says a seraphim flies, grabs a coal off the altar, touches it to his lips, and the Lord speaks and says, Who will go for us? Who can we send? And he says back, Here I am, send me. See, an encounter with the glory of God demanded a response. Saul, when he came face to face with the glory of God, he was blinded, a great light. That's another word for glory in several references in the Old Testament. Light. Illumination. Light. Saul comes face to face with the glory of God and there is this shift in his life and he is forever changed. He repents, becomes the greatest church planner of all time. Here's my question. Have you come face to face with the glory of God? Or are you still just dabbling in the flickers of light? Do you enjoy good food, good romance, good books, good art? Do you enjoy this world for the sake of this world? Or have you allowed all the things beautiful and glorious in your life to be just a tease for how glorious and beautiful powerful he is have you come face to face with the glory of God he wants you to see his glory this morning he wants you to be captivated by it and in every situation his glory demands a response maybe you have come face to face with the glory of God you've seen the personal work of Jesus Christ for what he's done for you 
and you're still kind of white-knuckling your life, just holding on, I just plead with you this morning to surrender. Last point. If you're taking notes, jot this down. You were made to reflect. Those of us who have encountered the glory of God, we've experienced the glory of God, we were made to reflect the glory of God. Think about what God said in Genesis. Going back to last week, He created man in the, anybody know? Image. We were imaged to image, right? He he made us in the image. We were a reflection of his creativity and beauty. You were made to reflect this morning. We know that Adam and Eve absolutely screwed it all up, but because Jesus came and restored it on the cross, you and I get to image him again. We get to reflect him again. We were made to reflect. I mean, think about it. When, when an athlete wins a competition, what do they get? They get, this, they get this trophy, right? And they put this trophy on a shelf. They show this trophy to their buddies. Why? Because the trophy is a reflection of all their hard work, all their perseverance, and their authority and their winnings, right? That's what a trophy is. You and I are trophies of righteousness. We get to reflect the goodness and the power of God. You were made to reflect. You were made to reflect. We reflect as his image, but we also reflect as the body of Christ. I'm going to read you a quick scripture. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read you a quick scripture out of Colossians. Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminence. For in him the fullness of the Godhead was dwell, pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You are the body of Christ. When the world wants to know what he looks like, they should be able to look at the church. When the world wants to know what does the love of Christ look like? What does the grace of Christ look like? What does the the servant heart of Christ look like? They should be able to look at his body and say there's an image. It's kind of broken. A little screwed up. That's an image of him. See, you were made to reflect and you were made to be his body. Made to be his hands and made to be his feet. And last scripture, if you want to jot it down, is 2 Corinthians 5.20. I love this verse and this set of scriptures. I use it a lot. We're therefore ambassadors of God. God making his appeal through us. See, you were made to reflect. You were made to image the glory and the beauty of God, the grace and the love of God. And when you come face to face with the glory of God, this cool New Testament deal happens. It's called regeneration. It's where the old self dies and God baptizes you, fills you with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit takes residence in you. And and don't hear me say this this morning. Don't hear me say, hey, be better. Curse less, smoke less, drink less. Just be better so that you look more like Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. Hear me say this. Delight in, 
Rest in the glory of God that lives in you so that through his power and his strength, you might reflect his beauty and his grace to the world around you. You were made to reflect. So let's together, myself included, stop chasing just little flickers of his glory. Let's set our eyes on the prize, commit our lives to him for who he is and what he's done, and revel in the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, We love you this morning. We are grateful for who you are, for what you've done, and what you want to do. This morning, you are glorious. And God, we've seen people who have lusted for your glory, and we've seen it go really, really, really bad for them. But God, at the same turn, we've seen people who have a love for your glory, God, and They were satisfied in you and you alone, God. No matter what came or went in their life, they had joy and grace and peace because they had you. And God, my prayer for our church, God, my prayer for our lives is that you would be gracious and cultivate in us a love for your glory. Help us respond with repentance and faith. And God, help us reflect. We are image bearers. We are your body. We are your ambassadors. So God, as humbly as I know how to pray, I just pray, show us your glory. Show us your glory.